uh, today we are pleased to have on our show Lester Philander. Now, Lester Philander is the host of the weekly business show, the business show on CCFM. Uh, he's a popular host. Uh, I've listened to some of it myself, and I know he gets a lot of interaction on his show, uh, on his weekly show, business show. And of course, he provides a lot of valuable content uh, for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and he provides information on, on marketing, taxation, how to raise finance, and everything related to a business, how to start, how to overcome obstacles. So we are really pleased to have uh, Lester Philander on our show today. So otherwise, how are you doing, Lester? I'm good, thank you, John. It's 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 a complete a pleasure and honor to to join you, and I'm quite excited to kind of walk through this next few minutes with you. You know, great, great stuff, great stuff. Yeah, look, the the John Martin show. We obviously air on all the uh, important uh, podcasting uh, uh, hosting programs. We are on Apple yeah. Podcasts, we are on Google Podcasts, we are on Spotify, uh, Shopify, rather. Sorry. And of course, on Anchor. So yeah, this show is literally going to air around the world. Uh, we've got a large audience Wonderful. in Africa and in South Africa. So yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity for your show as well, just to get some 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 airing out there. Now, for those of your listeners, uh, Lester, now, of course, your show, you talk to your listeners, you tell them about business, how to start businesses, uh, business plans, what to do, how to access finance. But for those uh, of your listeners that don't really know Lester Philander, who is Lester Philander? Where did you, where did you grow up? Okay, cool. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Cape Flats boy, you know. So growing up in a disadvantaged community, we've moved around quite a bit. And then uh, the most of the time I've spent was in Pelican Park from about 2001 until I moved out of my parents' house um, all the way to the West Coast a few years ago. Um, business has always been a passion to me. And, you know, it was planted you know, at high school years already when I was exposed to this international program called Junior Achievement. So I went to high school and primary school in Weinberg. And that is where that seed of entrepreneurship was somewhat planted. But uh, other than that, uh, I, I was a social rugby player. I think if people see me now, they, 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 they might disagree. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process, I suppose. And now I find myself in the southern suburbs or, or more the South Peninsula, to be more specific. I'm a beach boy. I love being close to the water. And obviously, business has given me the, uh, it's given me the opportunity to do exactly that. Oh. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm, I'm also a published author. I wrote a book called What to Expect When Going Solved employed i'm a business advisor so i help other businesses start up and not just businesses but people that are employed formally that are looking to create another stream of income through mm. starting their own business and whether that be in the construction space or a hairdressing space or a marketing space whatever business they want to start the fundamentals of business never changes so we teach them those fundamentals so that they can go on to start their own business without the risk of them leaving their job and oh. that is me Oh, that sounds that sounds interesting. So that is that that is a mouthful. I need to unpack uh, some of those things that you mentioned. There. I'm trying. I was trying to make some notes here as you were mentioning some of those things, like published author, uh, business coach, uh, social rugby player, and all of that. So yeah, it's quite a mouthful. Way eh? uh, just regarding family, are you are you married yeah. or are you still single? Yes, no. So uh, my my wife Nicole and I we we got married in 2015. Um, our third child is on the way, and, and I know a few people are probably doing some calculations here already. <laughs> <laughs> so our eldest daughter, our eldest daughter, Caitlin, she's adopted. Uh, she, she'll be five this year, so we've taken it in about three years ago. And then I have an 18-month-year-old son who looks exactly like me, poor guy. And then <laughs> and now my wife is... A and now my wife is expecting, uh, so we're having our daughter on the 21st of October, or more or less around that time over there. So uh, my wife and I, we've been married since 2015, but we've been together since 2010. And with her coming from a business background or with a business-minded family, and with me coming from a family or working-class family, there was a lot of, you know, gelling that we had to do. And she actually inspired me to go to some of these help or self-help seminars where I was exposed and motivated by guys like Robin Banks and Andrew Smith and JT Fox and Dan Locke. And I literally ingested everyone 
and eventually got to a point where you start knowing who to listen to and who to ignore and eat the meat and spit out the bones. So in my earlier days, I literally listened and I ingested everything from everyone. And I think as a result, you know, you, 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 you apply a relatively diverse strategy. And when you, when you, when you're facing two or three or four different options, and because you got your doctrine from a variety of sources, you know, whose methodology best works with the scenario that you are faced. Oh, that, that's interesting. I suppose that's quite, that's quite a sound approach to have, because I was going to ask you what got you interested in business? I mean, where did the interest start? Would you say? Mm. So I started in high school when I was part of this program, Junior Achievement, but that was a very entry-level, basic Mm. kind of introduction. So that just taught us about the fundamentals about starting a business at the very high school level. So what Mm. we've done is in this program, they made me this group manager of a business that we were supposed to have started. And they asked me, okay, listen, Lester, seeing that you're the group, product should we make to sell? And the first thing that came to mind was candles, you know, and, and we made candles and we sold them in our neighborhoods as kids at the time, which formed part of this project. And then I went on and I finished my degree. I came first in the school in business economics and in economics because I realized that that was where my passion lied. I then went on to finish my degree in management and then I started working for the corporate world. Uh, within a year, I got promoted to management and then two years down the line, my manager and I started bumping heads frequently because I feel my ambition grew a bit too big for the position that I found myself in. And at that time, I realized, okay, maybe it's time to start my own business. And as I mentioned, my wife and I started courting at that time. And, you know, coming from a business-minded family, she, she, she said, you know, let's try something different. Let's go to one of these seminars and see what it's about. Yeah, sorry, we had a bit of an interruption there, but anyway... Uh, Joshua will have to just do this. some good editing for us there. No problem. But, but just, what was that last point that you mentioned there? Uh, your wife obviously encouraged you and you did some shows, uh, some talks. Yeah. So, so, some of these, yeah. So, we started attending some of these and motivation sessions, and that is where the seed of entrepreneurship started growing. And at that point over there, we realized okay, it's time to start our own business. And I then applied the skill that I've acquired through that high school program, which was junior achievement. And I said, you know, why not make candles? And I've identified a, a market. And I, I said, you know, the restaurant industry, they buy in bulk and they buy consistently throughout the year. So that might be an ideal target market for me. And after landing some big fish, you know, like Ocean Basket and Cattle Baron and Premi and the Cove Collection Group, business started growing. And because I developed such a strong passion for entrepreneurship and business, I started venturing into other avenues. And that is where entrepreneurship really started blossoming. And that is when I started uh, getting involved in the construction space, in the consulting space, in the publishing space, in the media space, and a variety of other industries I started dabbling in at that point over there. And then I just started growing from strength to strength, but not before I lost everything. Well, no, don't. Like, not you know, fast. I was going to come to that. That was going to be one of the questions. <laughs> I'm jumping I was going to gun ask there. you, are you one of those, those, those millionaires that have only had success right to the top and they have never lost any money or never made any mistakes? So, as, as another... As another, absolutely as another, not. Absolutely as not. As another so businessman told me, of... if any guy tells you that in business that he's never lost any business, never lost any money, he's a liar, <laughs> because that's part of part of this. The, the absolutely, yeah, that's part of your education. I suppose, yeah. Now the question I was going to ask: it, you, Absolutely, I think even through your process. mistakes, I'm sure unless they'll agree, you you learn obviously a lot. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, one of the greatest mistakes we've made in business is not planning ahead. You know, I mean, as someone that has never been involved in business before, I literally had to do everything from scratch. I had to make all the mistakes. And that is why I wrote the book. I mean, the book is called What to Expect When Going Self-Employed so that other people don't have to make the same mistakes I've made. And I, I, I don't believe that it is a necessary exercise for you to go through all of the hardships. 
Uh, someone once said that you're smart if you learn from your mistakes, but you're a genius <laughs> yeah, if you learn from other people's mistakes. So what I then started doing is I started looking at the mistakes that other people that went in the industry before me and went into business before me. And I had to look at what is it that they have to say? What are they offering? And uh, I actually developed a couple of programs to help people overcome these things. The one program I developed was called Growth Dynamics. So without oh, going please, into too no, much detail, you know, yeah, we, we kind yeah, of recognize where people for the benefit of our listeners that would like to know. Growth, so, what, do you, what do you call that program? Growth Dynamics. Well, sure. So, so growth dynamics is basically a y-axis and an x-axis that you are doing. There's a couple of flags that we've identified, and you're going to go through these things whether you like it or not. So, in some cases, you know, in my case, I didn't have good money management, and that exposed me in the business world. I didn't have good time management, that exposed me in the business world. So, all of these weaknesses are potential flags that we can now see in retrospect, but we obviously couldn't see them while we were in the thick of things. I think it was Steve Jobs that said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. Mm. You can only connect them looking back. So there's a level of faith and trust that you have to embark on before you start this journey of entrepreneurship. So when you're starting out, when you're at station number one, that is when you're in the donkey phase. And because you don't know that much, and there's a reason we say donkey phase, because there's certain characteristics that a donkey has that new entrepreneurs have, you know, like the sense that yeah. they're ambitious and they're easily influenced and they bold animals, even though they are constantly mocked by others. So those are all characteristics of that donkey, you know, and some good, some not so good, but it's all things that we can learn from. And because at that point, we don't know enough about business, things yeah. tend to get worse before they get better. And when they get worse, they tend to get relegated to the dog phase. Now, the dog phase is when you are submerged below the profit line. This is where you're not making money. This is when your point of desperation, where your, your primal instincts kind of kick in in business. At this point of the year, you're not answering <laughs> 087 numbers because you know that you defaulted on. <laughs> and, and, and when people laugh, uh, uh, it's, it's usually a result of some sort of relation uh -huh. you know, when they've gone through a process like that. I'm listening. I'm listening carefully. And then uh, usually at that point over there, something happens to you. You have what is called a snap effect. And a snap effect is a sudden change of your circumstances that forces you to reassess your position. And you either go back to the working world with all of that debt. And in some cases, there's nothing wrong with doing that. If you're a family person and, you know, the family depends on your income for their livelihoods, you have to make certain sacrifices and decisions for the embitterment of your family. So if at this point of the year, you decide to go back to the working world and pursue an entrepreneurship career later on, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. People need to understand that that is not a form of quitting as long as you are committing to come back to the cause when you're in a better financial position. And not I'm to actually, on sorry, to, sorry to interrupt what you there, I'm actually glad you've mentioned that sure. because often... No People start off, uh, start a business, they're all excited and their family is excited, the wife is excited and it goes well at the beginning. But then certain things happen beyond their control, like a COVID-19 lockdown situation as an example. Yeah. And the person can feel deflated oh, yeah. and they can maybe blame themselves and yeah. think maybe they made a mistake. It wasn't for them and they give up. Meantime, they have got it in them yeah. to be a great entrepreneur, to create employment and help other people. So you are saying they don't have to feel bad if it, if they fail for whatever the reason is. They can always go back at the, at the later stage. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, oh, a lot of people are fooled with this doctrine that, you know, you must push through. And even if your family starves, that forms part of the sacrifice. But we have to be real about this process. I mean, there were many times I was at home crying at night because I thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. And you need that spouse. You need that person behind you that that's championing you, that's saying, listen, you know, this is part of the process and you'll have to do this. And at one stage, I took a bit of a break from entrepreneurship as well for about eight months. And uh, I, I strategically went back to work. But what I did is I actually at the latest stage renegotiated the terms of my employment contract and I actually made it a business transaction so that that way I can benefit from a tax advantage as opposed to me working formally for the corporate world. And as a result, that momentum kind of gained traction and I built a new empire based on that principle over there. So we're also entering into a season now where things are changing dramatically and no, very course, quickly. But we're going to get to that a bit later. Let me just yeah, explain yeah. the growth dynamics model to you very quickly. So station number two, you know, you can make the conscious decision to start changing, you know, and growth is not something that happens automatically. You can see companies that have been in business for 20 years that are still struggling mm. like they've started out. 
And then on the other side, you can see companies that has excelled within a six month period and they've already gotten, you know, six, yeah. seven figures in their bank account. That's because growth is intentional. It's something that you consciously have to do. You don't, you, you can't just yeah. sit and wait for something to happen. You have to be hungry. You have to hustle hard, you know, like the entrepreneurs say. And then when you start embarking on the growth process, you get to station number three, which is the, the mule phase. And at this point of the year, you're a bit more humbled. You're happy to no longer be in the dog phase. You're not making good money yet, but you're still in a point where you're still learning and acquiring various skills and you understand that what you know now is not good enough for where you want to be. And there's a lot of attitude changing. There's a lot of personality changing. And in some cases, it's not so much what you do that makes you successful, but who you become. And that process kind of changes your character and you know, it kind of puts you on a different path and a different tra uh, trajectory in terms of your thinking. And then when you embark on certain sales and marketing strategies, because you've now accumulated the skills to do so, you then pierce that profit line. And that is when you start making money. And that is when you get to station number four, which is the wolf phase. Now, in the wolf phase, you're making money. The wolf is a pack animal. The wolf knows how to hunt. Uh, the only problem in the wolf phase is extremely labor intensive. So, yes, you're making money, but you're, you, you are putting out a lot more work than uh, what you are getting in. So that is when you start embarking on systematic approaches, you know, start implementing and applying systems so that monies can be made without you. Because if you're in the wolf phase, if you are sick, the company is also sick. And very seldom can you afford to go five days without working. So when you're in the fifth phase, which is the rhino phase, that is when you have the systems and things in place already. And then thereafter, you start embarking on the next 20, 15, uh, 50 years. That is the kind of thinking that you're putting in place then. That is called your legacy strategies. And when you're there, that is when you get to station number six, and that is the lion phase. So based on where you are will determine what type of strategy you can employ. I often meet with small business owners, and I find them in the dog phase. And at that point, I could give them a, a, a seven-figure blueprint to grow their business. But because they are so worried about the fact that rent is due tomorrow or my kids' school fees are behind by three months, the, the level of thinking is not conducive to exponential growth. So at that point over there, we kind of have to unpeel a few psychological layers because business is a very personal thing. You know, people always say you, you, must, you must separate your business life from your personal life. And as an entrepreneur, it's relatively impossible mm. because you're living your no. business. And... Um, all of these things we have to look at. We have to look at the person. We have to look at the business. We have to look at the market. We have to look at all of these things before we can make certain recommendations. So that is the that is just one of the one of the programs we we put in place to guide the process of getting the entrepreneur from where they are now to where. So they want Tommy, to be so is that the, the growth dynamics program that you've got that covers all those different phases from the donkey phase right yes. up to right up Absolutely. to the rhino phase. Oh, oh, so, oh, oh, I see. After Rhino, there's a line. Okay, I didn't even know that. Absolutely. Of course. Okay, I see. So you start, you end off on a high. <laughs> okay, reminding people they, they can roll like a line. Absolutely. Absolutely. But of course, I think what there you're saying, go. a lot of people are not even aware of which phase they are in. So one of the benefits of your program appears to, to make true. people aware of where they're at and then understand why certain things are happening why certain things are maybe not working for them and it helps them just to basically reorientate themselves. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It also gives them an indication of what happens if you do this. So uh, when you understand where you are, you can see certain flags and certain obstacles ahead. And my job is to preempt the obstacles that are going to take place in six months' time but the average entrepreneur is still fixing the problem they've experienced six months ago. So uh, if you really want to grow to a successful, uh, if, if you really want to grow a successful business or grow into a successful entrepreneur, you have to start focusing on the important and not so much the urgent. You know, it's a timing thing because so often we ignore the important and then the important becomes urgent. And then it's about putting out fires as opposed to focusing on the six months ahead, as opposed to focusing on the six well, months Well, I suppose as somebody says, it's, it's the pain that gets the attention. I mean, so whatever causes you the pain, that's probably where you focus your energy on. There we go. But I think it's something we have to get out of. It's, 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 it's an attitude I had that paralyzed my business. And it's something I've carried 
from high school days all the way up until my, my early entrepreneurship days, I was the type of guy that could only study the night before. And it got me to a certain point, but if I had to study three months or three weeks in advance, I would have been very... I would have been much further than where of course, I am now. Of course, of course, of course. So I think what you are saying is this, that a certain, in terms of personality types, that influences your approach to business and the way you do things. And of course, being able to have a program like a growth dynamics program is the kind of thing, if you can be introduced to that kind of program at the beginning of your entrepreneurship journey, that will help you to avoid a lot of mistakes. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's absolutely correct. You know, it's it's about the 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 thinking ahead and addressing the current problem. If you don't know where you are, you don't know what skills you need to employ to get out of the situation that you find yourself in. Which is also why it's important to get a business coach. I, I also said a coach is there for two fundamental reasons. Reason number one is to show you the things you don't know. And that could be in relation to people dynamics with regard to marketing, sales, financial management, human resources, leadership, all of those skills that you might need, and also to hold you accountable. I mean, I I, I always use this example. I need to lose 30 kgs. I have a fitness coach, and I know in most cases exactly what I need to do to lose the 30 kgs. I know that I must stop eating cake. I must stop eating fast foods. I must increase my greens and my water intake. But if nobody's there to constantly remind me and to put that pressure on, I'm just going to default to my bad habits yeah. because we are creatures of habit. So the two reasons you need a coach is to show you the things you don't know and to hold you accountable to the things that you do know that you are not no, of doing. Of course, of course. Lester, just to, to backtrack a little bit. So in terms of your, your academic background, you've got a, you did business as a degree uh, at university? Yeah. So um, I, I, I got this. Cambridge um, University certificate, uh, which mm-hmm. I did through that high school program. Uh, it didn't really carry much academic weight, though, but it, uh, it kind of uh, just yeah, adds yeah. to bragging rights, I suppose. And then uh, I finished my, my degree in management, and then I have an honors in mm-hmm. small enterprise consulting. And then I was part of the SAB Kickstart program, and they've given us an opportunity to do a mini MBA through the Gordon Institute of Business Science. So uh, I finished that Mm -hmm. about four, six years ago. So it's a mini MBA, it's an honors, and it's a degree in management. That is my academic qualifications. But I find that with all of the theory and with all of the academia, there was still a bit of a disconnect. So you need to couple that with the real entrepreneurship experiences. And only that can be acquired when you're an entrepreneur. And uh, I, I always say nothing prepares you for entrepreneurship Precisely. like being an entrepreneur. So it does put you in an, in, yeah, it puts you in an advantageous position knowing that you have those qualifications and also gives you a lot more access. But where you really separate mm. the good from the great is the, 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 the street knowledge and that you acquire when you're in the field, when you're negotiating with people when you, you're doing your sales, when you're learning from your mistakes, when you're learning no, no, from definitely. other people's uh, no, I fully agree with you there. Now, let me uh, get back to your, to your business show on the, on the Tuesday night on CCFM. What do, what, do you enjoy, what do you enjoy most about your business mm. show, doing your business show? What is it that you enjoy most about it? So people always told me that I have this face for radio. I agree with you. You've got to have some face for radio, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, and... and, and. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on that my 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 wife actually uh ccfm was holding auditions i think back in 2014 and my wife encouraged me to go because she felt that uh i i, I have the temperament i have the personality i have the voice and all of the features that the uh-huh. radio personality needs but if i'm completely honest with you john radio is not my oh, really? primary passion and i started radio doing the oh. afternoon drive and then thereafter, I got an opportunity to work out in Atlantis for one of the contracts, mm. which I've mentioned earlier on. So I left radio for a while, and then I hosted the show on Radio Atlantis. Uh, they had this business show, which I found quite intriguing. And fortunately, at that time, the business show anchor had to pull out because he had his own ventures that he was dwelling into at that point. So it gave me an opportunity to implement my knowledge mm. that I've acquired in the business space, coupled up with my radio skills, oh, and present that on air. 
And because it's a much smaller community radio, which was in Atlantis, I then presented this opportunity to CCFM. And I asked, listen, guys, wouldn't, wouldn't our listeners benefit from something like this? I mean, we pulled the statistics and we found that X amount of people that are listening are actually business owners or business in tuned or business inclined. And a lot of the skills that you teach on entrepreneurs are relevant to employees that are working for entrepreneurs as well. So uh, I introduced the business show to CCFM back in 2016. It, it picked up immediately mm. and we've never looked back. So uh, while, while I'm saying radio is not my primary passion, entrepreneurship is my passion, but it allows me to bring the entrepreneurship skill to radio where we can disseminate all of these uh, information, all of the knowledge to the people that are listening. What's also nice about it is we get to tap into additional minds and an additional experiences by me interviewing other people on air and we, we we've interviewed top government officials and entrepreneurs and speakers and all of these guys so not only am i learning but i'm also sharing what i'm learning to hundreds of thousands of people well it's almost similar to the podcast time. experience i mean as a podcaster you're invite people Absolutely. that you will think that your listeners your yeah your listeners will find of interest and they are often experts in their yeah. field. And as a podcast host, you learn from them. Your listeners learn. So it's really a nice symbiotic relationship here that everybody benefits. Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. so now, look, I've listened to some of your, your shows. And we've had some really interesting guests on and people that I've learned a lot from. So uh, the benefit of you having a show like your radio show, your business show, is that you are able to share your, your knowledge and your expertise with a wider audience than just being a coach, a one-on-one coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah. And uh, in, in, in some cases, you know, we, we even bring on entrepreneurs that are not offering their, their knowledge of skill, but just to have a conversation. And in some cases, when you're just dialoguing with someone, especially with someone that you haven't met before. So it's a new conversation and you're not defaulting to your usual mannerisms when it comes to that conversation. That is when mm. new ideas start sparking. And I find that it was always difficult for me to come up with new ideas in familiar company mm. or in familiar environments. So from time to mm. time, when we have think tanks, you know, we actually go to different locations, to different environments, so that your mind can be forced to think and operate differently. And when you force it out of its comfort zone, that is when you get some of your... Well, that's interesting. Ideas. It's like the grape. I mean, you only get the, the juice when the grape is squeezed. The best part only comes out when it's squeezed. And the similar with the, with the individual, with people. I mean, look, obviously, we prefer being in our comfort zone, but it's only when we get squeezed Mm. Then what comes out of you is tenacity, endurance, creativity. As the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. And it's only when you're in a given situation where you're forced to, to come yeah. out and think out of the box and come up with a creative solution out of your situation or problem, that's when you really realize what you're able to do. No. And Lester, tell me, what, is a, what, is, what would you say true. is a common challenge faced by small businesses uh, especially here in, in South Africa and Cape Town, where you, where you operate from? I think the biggest thing is they only look at the problem that's in front of them. And that is the problem that they try to fix. So a small business starts. Immediately they think, you know, my biggest problem is a finance problem. I don't have enough finances. So what they do is they spend a lot of their time and efforts looking for funding and then 80% of the time, they don't get that funding, so the business doesn't go to the next level. For the 20% that does manage to get the funding, and you and I both know that when you go to certain institutions, they're not going to look at you as a startup mm. because the risk associated is too high. But in some cases, those that do get it right, when they get the funding, now what? Now they're facing another pool of problems. Okay, do I have enough, do I have enough capacity? Do I have enough clients? Do I have enough systems in place to ensure that I can transform this uh, 500,000 into 5 million rand? So the biggest problem, in my opinion, is that they are only looking at the giant that is in front of them. A good entrepreneur will kind of step back, go four or five steps back and go left and go right and identify the first problem, then also look at the five other problems behind the first problem. That is when you get the more holistic view. So that when you start with the end in mind, 
you are addressing all of these issues. So what you need to do is you have to look at where are you now and where do you want to be? Count the amount of obstacles that are in your way, not just the first one, and then put a strategy for each and every one of these obstacles. So the first obstacle, it's a funding issue. The second obstacle might be a marketing issue because people don't know about the business because it's brand new. The third obstacle might be a sales issue. They know about you, but they're still not buying from you because they're buying from the existing service provider who they've been loyal to for the past 15 years. Uh, the fourth obstacle is, okay, you have all of these clients, they're all buying from you, business is good, but you're not keeping a finger on the pulse, so you don't know where the monies and stuff are going because you don't have the systems in place. So it's about taking an holistic view, and I think as small business owners, we're only looking at the main thing that are knocking us the hardest in the season that we find ourselves, as opposed to taking two steps back, going left, going right, and looking at all of the things that is in front of you, and looking... At well, I agree with you there. It reminds me, I mean, of course, you know, also with my own business background, business training and business management, one of the things that I'm told to do is to do a, what we call a SWOT analysis. Now, from listening to you, it seems the, the budding entrepreneur oh, yeah. starting out, maybe he should do a SWOT analysis on, his, on himself in terms of the, the opportunities and the threats out there. Uh, and then be honest about the, the, the threats that's out there. So that's one true. of the threats could be in terms of his own lack of knowledge in a certain area. And, and of course, you know, look at the opportunities out there, but how to best access those opportunities. So it's really a case of a SWOT analysis on the individual himself uh, at the beginning stage. That's also true. And if I could just say this, John, you know, that is also why it's important for you to get a business coach. Because when you're looking at the threats and the potential opportunities that are out there, you only know what you know. And in most uh -huh. cases, it's what you don't know that is killing you. And mm. you need to find out what you don't know. And you might have to tap into another mind, into another brain. And, you know, you get a lot of these motivational speakers that will say, you know, you don't have to bother watching the news or, you know, read the newspapers because you can't control the uncontrollables. And to an extent, they're correct. But to another extent, you also have to know what is happening out there so that you can readjust your processes to take certain hits. So I, I always said, if back in 2005, if you knew that load shedding was going to be a part of our daily lives and you are in business and you bank on the fact that you need electricity to make money, at that point, the writing was on the wall. If you were proactive enough to go buy a generator, then it would, it would probably have cost you 300 Rand as opposed to 10,000 Rand yeah. because price is driven by demand and supply. And likewise, you know, with the whole COVID-19 pandemic, you know, with the first case back in China and uh, then going into Europe and into the States, if you knew at that point over there, there's a lockdown that has come in, which is relatively imminent, and you can prepare and gear your business accordingly to take that hit, then at least you've acquired enough information to position your business correctly so that the hit would not have been as severe. Now, granted, in most cases, things are completely out of our control, but if you could see certain things happening and you could put certain things in place now to prevent a total shutdown in your business in that regard, then at least you'd be better off. So, again, it's good that you can identify, but it's usually the things that you don't preempt. Mm, mm, okay, 100% agree yeah. And By the way, Lester, tell ones. me something. What would you say is the, the major setback that you've experienced uh, in your life as a business person and looking back, what is it that you could have avoided, uh, you know, that situation? So I, I, I was one of those guys that I must do everything myself. And coupled with that, I was... Aren't we all? So that means when I... when Aren't we all? Aren't we all? So by my general makeup, I was an optimist, which means that when I meet with someone and I'm offering them a potential opportunity to invest in my business or to sell to, and it was just a good meeting, but nothing is shaken or signed or sealed or anything, I would then celebrate too early. And as a result, I would slow down and I'd lose that drive. And, you know, because yeah, of my yeah. optimism, I thought that it's in the bag. And I banked on the fact that that was coming in. And I made decisions around that mm. fact based on my optimistic nature. And I can count at least five times where I was disappointed because I was banking on that specific monies to come in and it didn't happen. And 
then it, it, it manifested in other problems happening at the later stage. Then I couldn't afford to pay the rent. Then I had to move. Then I, had to, then I couldn't pay good staff at the time. So obviously in my immaturity in business, all of these things cost me dearly. It cost me good locations. It cost me good staff. It cost me uh, reputational damage in some, in some instances. But had I have put those systems in place, had I have you know, employed someone that can do what I can't, because... Mm. I was the type of person that wanted to do everything. And because I was held accountable <laughs> by myself Needless to say. Yeah. and I fall short, it's yeah, as simple as yeah. just me slapping myself on the wrist, you know? So the lesson I learned from that was I shouldn't I really. do my own dirty work, if that makes sense. And when you get to a certain position in business, you'd rather employ mm. someone to execute your vision so that they will take their job far more seriously uh -huh. knowing that they're held accountable by you as opposed to you being held accountable it's by like yourself. Lester, would you say, Cody, would you say it's like the New Year's resolution so type of example where at the beginning of the year you, we make New Year's resolutions with the best that. of intentions, but a week later, maybe a month later, you start forgetting it or oh, when yes. other pressures come in, you tend to forget. And so you let yourself down. So the point is, that's why it's, yeah, so oh, you should. That's why what you are saying is exactly better to have others instead of just yourself that you're accountable to. Yeah, but 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 not just that. You know, uh, it's difficult for you as the business owner to give people authority to hold you accountable because ultimately one of the things you learn in management is you can delegate your responsibility, you can delegate your authority, yeah. but you can never delegate your accountability. So what I did is I didn't delegate my accountability. I delegated the work and then I would hold the person who I delegated this work to. I would then hold them accountable. So instead of me executing my own vision, I would then get in, 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 in this case of here, Christopher is my GM. I then gave the vision to Chris and I said, Chris, this is the vision that I've birthed as the owner of this company. This is my vision. You need to execute this vision by any means necessary, right? And at the end of the year, and obviously we review this on a weekly basis because oh, you can't not. just look at your goal yes. at the end of the year, at the end of the year. You have to break it down mm. into monthly chunks and into weekly chunks and even into hourly chunks so that they know what they need to focus on on an hourly basis to ensure that we are meeting our goals at the end of each week, mm. at the end of each month, at the end of each year. So every Monday morning, Chris and I, we have our session where we ask, okay, are we on par? Are you still being, uh, or, or, uh, so, so that whole process is where I hold him accountable to the vision that I've given him. Because if I had to execute the vision myself, that means that I'm held accountable by myself. And I can't take myself too seriously, but Christopher takes me very seriously as opposed to me taking myself seriously. I'm too familiar with myself. I, I'm aware of too much of my bad habits, whereas he is not. So he will take it as my boss gave me this instruction and I must do this or else there's serious That's excellent. You know, that, that is excellent. It's something which I haven't actually looked at that way. But, you know, holding ourselves accountable uh, only to ourselves and if we veer off course, uh, we're not going to treat ourselves as strictly as somebody else would or as we would treat somebody else. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely that. We will just say, ah, it's fine. We can start on Monday again. And that is not the attitude you should adapt or you should, you, you should approach a business with, especially if there are other livelihoods at stake. You know, your staff, your suppliers, who yeah. banks yeah. on your business so that they can make their living. You know, I, I, I always tell people your success is not just your luxury. Your success is your responsibility because there are so yeah. many people that benefit from it. Your family, your staff, your suppliers, that entire value chain benefits. No, of course not. Absolutely. I mean, failure costs, failure. I mean, the, the ripple effects of failure. I mean, like, for instance, uh, in South Africa, uh, they say, obviously, going into the, the, when the lockdown started, the country was already in a recession. The lockdown obviously made it worse. And one of the casualties of oh, yeah. Yard Amplified and one of the casualties was Edgar's yeah. or the Edcon Group, one of the biggest, uh, oldest, oldest retailers in South Africa. Mm. And I mean, I say this guy, Grant Patterson, yeah. uh, in an interview, he broke down in tears as he was talking to some of his suppliers because of the implications by, by them not being able to pay their suppliers. And he knew what that would mean.
Yeah. No, it's it's very heartbreaking. I've been following that story, and yeah. you know, my wife worked for Edcon for many years. In fact, she worked there when we met, and you know, she holds him very close and in high regard. And it's a business that has done phenomenally yeah. well. They've created thousands of jobs all over Africa, and not only in their yeah. company, but yeah. I mean, their CNA and their sister companies, and you know, other companies that supplies to them were also built a livelihood based. But that's what you are talking about. Sad. Your failures benefit nobody, so it's imperative to do what you can to upskill yourself train yourself educate yourself so that so that you are successful because there's so many people besides your own nuclear family and your own community that depends on that success yeah, yeah. so Lester, yeah, what business absolutely. activity are you involved in at the moment Okay, cool. So um, our primary business is business development. So we have a consultancy called PHL International. Just repeat that again. Sorry, Lester, just, just repeat that again. What's the consulting company business? called? PH? Yeah. Sorry, John. So, so that's oh, okay. PHL okay. International Consulting. So that is where we help small business owners in the range of uh, five to 15 million. Uh, so that is their turnovers. But we also assist with startups as well. But then we've since launched a sister company to that called Empire 629. So I think it was Tony Robbins that said, your, your 8 to 5 is what pays your bills, but your 6 to 9, which refers to after hours, is what builds your empire. Hence, we named our company Empire 629. So that helps everyday employees start their own business. So uh, picture, let's say, a bank teller that earns 15,000 Rand per month by virtue of human behavior. Their lifestyle expenses probably <laughs> comes to about 18,000 Rand per month, so there's a deficit. So we say, okay, you need to create another stream of income. And in most cases, a lot of people are not too comfortable with investing monies into business platforms that they don't really know. And if you're anything like me, I, I like being in the driver's seat with regard to how much money I can make. So if you invest in other businesses, you're kind of at the mercy of other people's performances and at the, yeah. at the mercy of other people's hunger as opposed to your own. So I always tell people, start your That's business. Right. Don't give up your day job. But don't yeah. give up your job because in the economy that we are, absolutely, because you can't afford to do that right now. You can't compromise your estate. I've seen mm. too many people go into a business idea and knows first and I think it was Warren Buffett that said, never <laughs> test the depth of the water yeah. with both feet. So you hold on to your, yeah, you hold on to your eight to five job because that is what pays your bills. And there's nothing wrong with working. A lot of these guys yeah. will say, you know, employment is the enemy and all of these things. I strongly disagree with that. It's because of your employment exactly. that you could probably get married, exactly. that you could probably get a bond or get a vehicle. So you know, re respect, yeah, yeah. Re respect and appreciate the fact that you've gotten a job. So now this is where you step into your self-actualization need and you want to start your own business, but you have to do it responsibly. So you start a business on a part-time basis. In fact, if you can start a business full-time and employ someone to run that for you, mm. you're creating employment opportunities for so many others mm. who might mm. have lost their job through this pandemic. So that is what we do with Empire 6 to 9. We help everyday employees start their own business. And it's their idea. It's not our ideas. We don't impose our vision on them. If their dream was to start a construction company while running uh, their day-to-day -day mm. job, or if they want to start a marketing business or a makeup company or uh, a, a coffee shop for that matter, we help them to do exactly that while creating employment. The other business we've started, and this is a relatively popular one because so many people have come to us and are saying, listen, Lester, I'd like to get involved. We've owned a number oh, of yes, coffee I shops. Oh, yes, I remember, sorry, I remember on, one of, on one of your programs and, uh, I listened to you spoke about a coffee shop that you opened up, yeah. Absolutely. So we opened up a number of them, and I must be honest with you, I, I, I'm not keen on the coffee shop industry. I know how to make money in it. I've understood the formula. I have all of the resources and networks in place, but I find that to run a successful coffee shop, you either need a very big brand or it must be owner-managed. And because I had a variety of different businesses, I couldn't mm. commit to owner-managing that place. So what I've now done is I've set up this new oh, business model called Rent My Restaurant, right? And... So many people come to us and they say, listen, listen, this was always my childhood dream. I've always wanted to own a coffee shop. I've always wanted to own a restaurant, but I've just never had the capital to do that. So what we've done is we've set up about five restaurants now in Musenberg, Rondebosch, in uh, Deep River, Autry, in a variety of different areas. And what we've now done is, okay, we've set the whole thing up. We've paid for everything. And now you who always had this dream that wanted to be a coffee shop owner. 
this is your chance. I know you don't have the money, so you pay me a certain rental fee every month, which the business should be in a position to make itself. So you're not buying it. The business is paying for itself. And you allowing to or you allowing your passion to be achieved and exercised and 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 so for for example, you might pay a seven thousand rand per month, and after twenty four months, you. It sounds like a like the like the rent business right. So into the rent to buy model. Yeah, so you start off by renting it, rent to buy, rent to own eventually. Okay, that's that's a nice concept. I like I like that. Absolutely, that um. I was moved by the fact that, you know, when we sold the first one in Musenberg and, and I sold it to someone mm. that I know has a passion for this industry because there are certain requirements that we need. You, 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 you can't just come off the streets and say, this is my dream. I want to do this. Mm. You need to show me exactly what your plans are to grow this thing and to filter the crowd. If you pay us 10,000 Rand per month as a premium, I request a double deposit up front. So if you are serious Precisely. about this business, then you need to put your money where your mouth is. So with any other restaurant, it will cost you anything between 50000 mm. and 500000 to set up, depending on the complexities. So at this case, we've absorbed all of those costs, but at least pay a double deposit upfront so that we can mitigate our risk to an extent. And uh, that way we can also see if you are serious, because when we put this on social media, we had more than 190 people that has applied for the opportunity. And for me to filter that crowd, I needed to separate those who are serious, who are prepared to put skin in the game no, to those that are just looking to make a quick buck. So uh, that is the, yeah, that is the new one. And then uh, we, and the location is yet to be confirmed. We're still in it. But just, just coming. You can buy certain marketing resources. Mm. Sorry, John. Yeah, I just, uh, Lester, I just lost you there for a minute. And you okay, I'm to back. Say, I can uh, Okay, fine. Yeah, I just want to repeat that last one. But if, just coming back to your, what's what's that business called? The the, the business, the new business model, the rent, where you rent out the space, the coffee shop. What do you call yeah, that again? Rent my restaurant. Oh, rent my restaurant. What I like yeah. about that is that for, say, for a 24-month period, the person rents it. Uh, from you and then at the end of 24 months he's got the option to to buy it of course Uh, it's it's an automatic um, transition so after paying that certain period then they're after they own it outright so they don't have to pay us an additional fee after that time period so from the offset it's a it's a rent to own and we also give them the naming rights so if they want to call the coffee shop you know uh, michael's coffee or williams Mm. coffee we give them the naming rights up front because ultimately we're giving them the opportunity to achieve their goal. This is their vision. Yeah. This is their yeah. dream. Yeah. And we are simply the funders thereof. And because of the resources and the relationships and the networks that we've acquired over the years, by playing in that space, we can set it up for them cheaper than they can do it for themselves. Mm, that's it. And now what I like about it is it's, it seems to me it's quite the model you've got here. It's quite scalable as well. Because Absolutely. if you are, if you identify other suitable premises anywhere in the city, uh, you could obviously duplicate this easily. That's true. And uh, unfortunately for some and fortunately for others, there's such a lot of coffee shops that have closed down now. And uh, that leaves a bit of a void in that community. So with COVID, you've seen quite a number of restaurants, particularly that has closed down because they couldn't absorb a four month, you know, period of not at all which is completely understandable but in mm. most of those cases a coffee sh- a, a coffee culture has already been established in that community so now people are looking to go to other places but if we can just start something else in that place you know it's an opportunity where the new coffee shop owner can immediately get uh, or, or hit the ground running as opposed to going through all of the starting up uh, tedious pains that one tends to go through because that that, that that they're literally just filling a void that has been identified through this COVID nineteen pandemic. Well, what I what I like, what I'm hearing, what you're saying here is that your business model has got some elements of the franchise model. Uh, oh, you yes, know, where the guy that starts the franchise 
or decides to franchise his ideas, having done it himself for a number of years, he's tweaked it, he's eliminated the, the, the hiccups and the problems, and now it's ready for somebody else just to come and have a turnkey operation kind of thing. Mm. So speaking about franchises, we're actually looking at rolling out our own chain of coffee shops. Now, with that, they obviously benefit from the IP and the recognized brand because we're looking at rolling this out in large scales on radio advertising, television advertising, but that is a 2021 opportunity. We still have to make sure that our due diligence proves that this is the right move and this is the best way to go forward. So we can't just make decisions on a whim anymore. No, absolutely not. No, no, especially with the COVID-19 lockdown effects, you've got to be so, so much more careful. But anyway, let me ask you the question. What is the general feeling from small business owners about the COVID-19 lockdown effects? What's the general feeling that you talk to different people? I think it's fear and anxiety, but a lot of them, they, they need people to speak into their life, to say that, listen, this is a good opportunity. It's a good time. It's a good time to invest. It's a good time to start a business. Uh, I, I I was exposed to this guy. They call him the big positive guy. And he was just a breath of fresh air. And he looks at any negative situation and he puts a positive spin on it. And he talks about the real, not the pie in the sky kind of positives, but he talks about the practical positive things that comes from pandemics, that comes from economic downturns. If you're looking at the mining space, for example, with the rand dropping so low it makes exporting much more lucrative which creates a lot more jobs in the mining sector and so again you know there's the there's this general feel for fear and anxiety but what we try to do as far as possible is to look at the other side of the coin yes this is what we are faced with at the moment yes this is going to happen and these are some unavoidable things but try to find the silver lining in those and that is where we try to educate business owners and Unfortunately, some people are just naturally pessimistic. They're always going to look at. The, they're always going to look at the glass half empty. Sorry, you mean they didn't even need a COVID nineteen lockdown situation to they, be pessimistic? They didn't need a COVID nineteen, <laughs> you know. But the, the the problem with the with the pessimists are they always want to. Well, they always want to wait until the market is completely ripe, completely relevant. Uh, uh, and and uh, I don't think it's ever going to get to that point over there. So you have to you, you have to start digging in the rough terrain. You're going to have to start doing it while the storm is out there. You can't wait for it to pass. It might never pass. And if it doesn't pass, you're going to waste the opportunity. Or if it does pass eventually, so many people have decided to start this thing without waiting. And some of them fall by the wayside and some of them make a success of it. I I put this post on social media this morning and I said, um, uh, risk is always greater than regret. So Mm -hmm. I I would rather embark and you you don't risk things foolishly and flippantly. But yeah. if you never, ever do anything, uh, it's, it's that old, it's that age old saying that goes, if you do what you always do, you will get what you always get. And if you, if you only do what you can, you'll never be more than you are. So if you're yeah. happy with who you are, then, then, then don't fix something that's not broken. But yeah. just keep in mind that, you know, uh, the way the world is moving at the moment is so rapid that your comfort zone is going to be obsolete within 12 months' time. So you might say, I'm in a good job. You know, COVID-19 hasn't affected our company. We're in an essential care. We're in a central services space. But eventually, your self-actualization, you know, your, your need to be, your, your need to want to be more is eventually going to kick in. And by then, the opportunity might have lost, uh, might have lost itself. Or you might look for more opportunities, but I, I, I never want to be, and I never want you to be the guy that is constantly chasing opportunity. Rather position yourself to where on, where where opportunity will come. And uh, our our rugby coach once told us, because I'm one of the big guys on the rugby field, you know, I don't have the fitness levels to chase the ball up and down the field. So they came up with this play, and I can't remember what the name of it was because it was so many years ago, but I still think it was brilliant and it still stuck with me until today. He said, Lester, being one of the big guys on the field, don't chase the ball. Rather understand where the ball is going and position yourself in a place where you know the ball is going to come back to. So for one, you're not going to be exhausted and burnt out. And yeah. two, when you have that ball, because you were one of the few people that preempted that the ball is going to be in that position, you can open up a gap where you can be in that advantage or you can get over the advantage line or potentially even score that goal. So again, mm-hmm. don't chase opportunity. Position yourself where opportunity is going to be. And to do that, you have to stay relevant. You have to watch the news. You have to listen to what is out there. You have to get a business coach that can upskill and update you with regard to a lot of this information. Well, actually, this brings me to the next question I was going to ask you. What do you feel are the things that business owners or entrepreneurs can do now to adjust 
to, to start over or to, to reinvent themselves now with COVID-19 mm. lockdown regulations having caused havoc around the country, around the world. Uh, yeah. So what are, the, what are the things that businesses can do now to basically reinvent themselves or start over? I find the thing with business is business always comes with a lot of stigmas. And uh, when people are business owners, the stigma is that this person is successful in some way or form, but they don't always see. It's like the iceberg effect, you know, all the hard work, disappointments, late nights and stuff is under the sea level where people don't see. And the success in the fancy cars is above the sea level, what people see. <laughs> so a, a lot of the time, you know, in business, the reason people don't want to give up on a dead horse is because the expectation that weighs them down by other people that put them on this pedestal. COVID-19 uh -huh. has presented a nice opportunity where you can actually say, you know what, it's a good time for me to reassess. And even if I need uh -huh. to close down this business because it's a dead horse, this is the yeah. perfect opportunity for me to do that. And now there's no shame in doing that because we're seeing giants like SAA and Edcon that has closed their doors because of mm. the effects of a COVID-19. So what makes you any better than giant organizations well, like those? Just on that, sorry, Lester, just on that particular point, as you say, COVID-19, actually, this is the silver lining in the dark clouds. Given a lot of people an opportunity, well, sometimes you can even say you can use it as an excuse. But the Absolutely. reason why I'm, why I'm mentioning this is that I've seen in the media that large companies like, like Foshini or the True Works Group or others have said, look, they're telling their landlords, we're not able to pay you the full rent. We're only going to pay you half the rent because... Mm -hmm. Uh, retail sales has been affected because of lockdown regulations and so forth. So now your, your, your homeowner that is also only getting half his salary can say to his landlord, or don't have to be hesitant about saying to his landlord, I can't pay you the full rent right now because I'm only getting half my salary. So it can, it can become an opportunity where you can get, as the banks call it, a payment holiday. True, true. Um, just yeah. with that, you know, you also have to be careful about what opportunities you do open up because there might be certain interest repercussions when it comes to that. So I always encourage of people course, to do their own work. But well, again, you know, with silver linings, you can always look at these things. I mean, if you look at the average uh, bond, you know, if your bond was 11,000 prior to lockdown, you're probably looking at a bond of about 8,700 now because of the drop in interest rates. So sure, again, I sure, tend to look sure. at the positive things because I was inspired by this big positive guy. And you always look at, if you look at the things that are, or if you focus on the opportunities, you will expound on those opportunities as opposed to focusing on the, you know, on all of the negativity where you're just going to feed that. So, so coming back to, you know, um, uh, the using COVID as an excuse to close down, it's also a good opportunity for business owners to take a step back and ask themselves, you know, I've been in business for the past 10 years and that doesn't mean that I know enough about business to make a success of it. Uh, there's the age old saying that goes, practice makes perfect. But what if you're practicing the that because you can't you're constantly spiraling down this debtle uh, a lot of people were in problems with their business long before COVID came into it mm. so now i'm saying COVID has presented you with an opportunity to potentially take two steps back and reassess your business and upskill yourself with the necessary skills that are needed right and when you've upskilled yourself with all of those skills you can re-look at that business again from a bird's eye perspective and then you can potentially see flags that you've bumped your head into for the past 10 years and then you can make a call on that and it's a more objective call because your feelings are not pulled out of the business and when you make that objective call then it's a bit more rational then you could say this is the problem i've been faced with all of these years this is the same mistake that i've been making over the past 10 years and when you're looking at it from a fresh perspective then you can actually say you know I can't do this to myself anymore. I'm just going down a dark hole that is never going to get any lighter. Some industries are dying as a result of COVID. But in saying that, new opportunities are now presenting itself. So if you're not jumping on a new wave, and in some cases, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be a complete diversification where you're jumping from one industry into another. It could be as simple as just introducing a new product to your existing service offering. But you will never know what the problem is if you don't look at the numbers, if you don't look at the markets, if you don't look at the behavioral trends of your customers. So it's always important for you to look, ask questions, and measure the performance on a monthly, on a weekly, and even on a daily basis. So would you say, like some people are using the word recalibrate, COVID-19 lockdown, mm. the pandemic, the lockdowns yes. around the world, lockdowns of businesses, decimations of industries, 
there's four things to be recalibrated. There's a recalibration taking place, like almost like when you've got your common mm. GPS, where you have to change direction. You've got to recalibrate it, and now Johan Rupert, Johan Rupert of the the Rimgro Group have said this is a time for a reset. Of this is forcing a financial mm. reset in economies, in businesses, in companies. Absolutely. You know what? It's it's not just a recalibration. I mean, recalibrations have to take place at least once every 12 months in order for you to stay relevant. Because if we, if we get so stuck in the way that business is done and we write policies and processes around that, uh, we get stuck into this way of doing things. And as soon as the world changes, we are still stuck and sucked into our own policies and processes, which were drafted around an economy of one year ago or five years ago, or even 20 years ago. So that is something you have to do on an annual basis, if not sooner. And some people call it zero-based thinking. Other people call it, you know, shut down and re, uh, reactivate. Uh, it's an opportunity to do it now uh, because you had, you know, all of that months at home in most cases. But it's something that must absolutely be done. And when you do it, when you do it, don't just... because over the years, it's not just a financial thing. It's also an attitude. It's a behavioral adjustment or a behavioral adjustment. Uh, a lot of the times when you grow a business, a, a culture is set by default. And some cases, in fact, most cases, it's a negative culture that manifests within the organization. And it, it's like a garden, for example. You don't plant a weed. A weed grows spontaneously. And likewise, in your business, there are so many viruses that has come up in your business because of the culture that has been created by default. Mm. It's an opportunity not only to recalibrate the business, but also to recalibrate the culture. A lot of the time, the business have success, or they have the successful resources and systems in place already. But if you recalibrate the culture of the organization, it can go so much further than where it is now. You know, Lester, you know what? As, you, as I'm listening to you and you're talking about we are using the word recalibrate, obviously, and reset within the context of what the COVID-19 lockdown has forced upon us. I'm just thinking, you know, you've, you hear the saying, sometimes, people sometimes say, look, I was fired by X company, XYZ, like, like Raymond, Raymond Ackerman. Remember Raymond Ackerman? He was fired by Great Demon yep. Stores. He was a, a newly married guy. He came from America with some great ideas about self-service uh, shopping. And he was fired. And then because of that, because of that, he was forced to, to open his own self-service stores, which is now called Pick and Pay. So it became what you... What and it's, one of the, it's one of the most successful businesses precisely, in the world. And it's what you can call, with hindsight, a blessing in disguise. So are you saying COVID-19 can offer a lot of people that opportunity? It Sorry, can, but they must, just, they, they must be conscious of it, yeah. though. It's not, it's not just going to appear on your lap. So COVID happened, the world is in distress, but here's the blessing that has fallen on mm -hmm. your lap. It's not going to happen like that, you know. We still have a role to play in terms of finding the opportunities. Yeah. It's not just going to come out. Also, everybody's going to be successful. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at world trends today, uh, it's not just about working hard or hustling harder, but it's about finding out where the opportunities are lying. Again, like my rugby coach told me, position yourself to where the ball is going yeah. to be. And to do that, you need to understand the system. You need to understand the flow of money. You need to understand the flow of behavior and once you've understood that then you know where you can position yourself where you can get that sweet spot where opportunities will come where you can make this a blessing because in some cases you have to make it a blessing you know yeah. uh, the, 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 uh, a blessing will present itself in a potential or in an opportunity but to convert it from potential to actual money or to success or to business or to profit, that is your role. That is where you come in. And there are help and there are people out there that can help you translate and achieve and convert that for you. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Fantastic, fantastic. A lot of wisdom there. A lot of good advice there. Lester, just to, in, in summing up, uh, and I think you've touched on it already, but just briefly, what advice would you have for for, for budding entrepreneurs starting out now or thinking of starting uh, post-COVID-19 post because South Africa is now in level, uh, what, lockdown level two. So what advice do you have for, for people that want to start or start over? Hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it twofold, hmm. right? Number one is what is the end goal? What do you want to achieve, right? So write down exactly what it is you want to achieve and look at where you hmm. are now. Then ask yourself, where are you, right, in a position? Are you positioned to get 
those opportunities. And if you're not positioned, what skills, resources, news, information, analytics do you need to acquire to ensure that when you have this, this is how I can position myself. So it's about acquiring the information, then taking action to ensure that you're going to be in the right space at the right time so you can take advantage of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the opportunity, look at all of the obstacles that are stopping you from exponentially transforming this into a high growth opportunity. So don't just look at the obstacle that is in front of you. Look at obstacles that are five steps ahead and look at what problems might come in six months time and then eradicate that problem now already because you've thought that far ahead. That is the threefold advice step that I'm happy to well, share. Well, Lester, I think on that threefold advice, I'm gonna we're going to wrap it up now, but I think it's fantastic. It's, there's a lot of wisdom in there. There's a lot of common sense in there. And I wish that as many of our listeners here uh, in America and in South Africa and Britain, wherever English speakers are, that they listen to this. And, and especially your young entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs are going to take this to heart and, and place their, take that into account. And I'm hoping that some people is even going to contact you, especially with this, this your growth, uh, your, what, what do you call that um, dynamic? Growth dynamics. Yeah, your growth dynamics. Yeah, I think I'm going to get uh, Joshua to, to just to give that a shout out as well for you, uh, for your growth dynamics program. For sure. It sounds like a fantastic program that people can definitely benefit from. And so I personally have been encouraged. I've been inspired by what you shared. And I'm glad you came up of the John Martin uh, podcast. He's glad for that as well. And everything of the best for you and your business going forward. And hopefully we'll can uh, invite you on maybe the next couple of months. Again. Happy to do it. John, thank you so, so much. You have an awesome show and uh, I will definitely tune into all your other shows going forward. Thanks so much, John. Thanks a lot and have a great day and God bless. You too. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye.